when I think about my life and as I study scripture, one thing I notice is that God's ways and God's timing is often different from ours. God often doesn't work in our timetable or in the ways we might expect. So let me go through uh, a few brief stories from scripture and then a few brief stories in more present day that illustrate that. So think about Abraham. God showed up, talked to Abraham, and Abraham had to wait 25 years for his son Isaac to be born after God had told him that he would have a son. And then Abraham died without really seeing the fulfillment of all the promises that God had made to him. Joseph, which Jordan had talked about a little bit last week, Joseph from the Old Testament, that is, was sold into slavery by his brothers. Then he was imprisoned after he was falsely accused. And through all of that, God brought about the salvation of his people and saved many people from famine which I'm sure from Joseph's perspective, it wasn't pleasant, right? I mean, who wants to be sold as a slave? Who wants to be imprisoned? And yet God worked through that to bring about salvation and to bring about good for Joseph as well as for thousands of other people. Another illustration that God's ways and his timetable are not necessarily ours. The Israelites were in slavery for hundreds of years. I'm sure... They cried out often for God to come and save them, God to come and deliver them. But in God's timetable, his deliverance came a few hundred years after they were in slavery, and God came through Moses at just the right time to bring salvation, deliverance, and to manifest his glory to the Egyptians as well as the watching world. Then if we jump forward a few hundred years, there's a Christmas song that has the line in it, what a strange way to save the world. And it's talking about Jesus coming to earth. It's, um, I believe it's by Mark Harris, and you'll hear it at Christmas time probably. But Jesus came to earth as an infant. He died on the cross, rose from the dead. A strange way to save the world. He didn't come and show up with military might. He didn't show up with vast armies and a strong arm of power to save and deliver the Israelites, as well as the world. It was a strange way to save the world, but yet that's what God knew would be the best way to bring salvation was through Jesus showing up as a man, as an infant, and then ultimately dying on the cross. And then Jesus' disciples in the book of Acts, they were imprisoned multiple times, right? You read through it, multiple times they get imprisoned, but through those imprisonments, a vast majority or a big chunk of the New Testament was written while Paul and others were in prison. And through those imprisonments, God displayed his glory in a tremendous way to those who were in the prison as well as to those around them. And I'm sure it wasn't fun to be arrested and imprisoned for their faith. And yet God used that and worked through that to display his glory and to uh, bring his word to people, even to us today, because without those imprisonments, we might not have had a lot of the New Testament. Now coming more to the present day, and many of you know my story that I had to wait till I was 34 years old before I met my future wife. And there was a lot of waiting in that, right? And yet God worked through that waiting to bring me a great wife and then a great daughter out of that, 
but I had to wait until I was 34 until I had met Lauren. God's timetable, God's working his ways are not necessarily maybe what we would want or what we would envision. And then I think about my life as well. And if I go back to when I was growing up, because I'm not from Danville. I don't think I even knew about Danville (laughs) when I was growing up and thinking about living in Danville and doing what I'm doing today. No one would have predicted that when I was a teenager. I mean, no one would have (laughs) predicted that except for God. And yet God saw fit to bring me here and to use me here in Danville. God's ways are not our ways. And we can't even envision his ways all the time. And then as Doug had shared, um, I think it was a few weeks ago, that he and probably several others, we probably thought that our wait to get the next lead pastor wouldn't take two years. It wouldn't take as long as it has happened. And yet God was working through that. His timetable wasn't our timetable. Maybe his ways weren't our ways, but we feel that this is what God has brought us to and led us to. And as we waited and suffered at times, maybe some of you suffered through me preaching more than I often would. I don't know, but there is a little bit of suffering through that. And yet God was working in us and through us and the chapels to lead them here in Danville at this time. And you can probably think about your life as well, and think about the lives of those around you and some of the things that have happened in your life. And maybe at times you've wondered at God's wisdom, God's timing, God's action, or maybe God's inaction in your life. And sometimes God does or allows things that seem strange, odd, or outright incomprehensible to us. Perhaps it's miscarriages, deaths of children or others. Maybe it's a long singleness loss of various kinds, sickness, disease, sufferings of other kinds in your life and those around you. But we follow a Savior who suffered and died for us and who calls us to participate in his sufferings because sometimes the glory of God is most manifest in our lives in the midst of suffering and hardship. And when we go through suffering and hardship and endure it with faith and joy, trusting that Jesus' ways are not our ways, but that they're good and right, that displays the glory of God in a powerful way. And I think all those stories that I went through illustrate that, that even though God's timetable and God's ways and God's wisdom were not probably the ways of Abraham or Joseph or the Israelites or the apostles necessarily, God worked in a way to manifest his glory to those that he worked through as well as to the world around him and also through us when we endure hardship and suffering with faith and even joy God is glorified in our lives it reminds me of Isaiah 55 8 and 9 and some of you maybe are familiar with the passage where it says for and this is God for my way or for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways, God's thoughts, God's timing is not ours. God is working in and through all things for his glory. That's his motivation. That's God's motivation through everything he does is for his glory, for his honor, for his fame in the world. 
And sometimes that means pain, hardship, and difficulty for us. Because as I said, what if God is most glorified in us through enduring persecution, sickness, loss, or even death? And that's a thought that has gone through my head at times. When I go through hard times, like, what if this is what God wants me to go through so that he can be most glorified in my life? Because life... My life, your life, is not our own. We belong to God, and life isn't about my ease, my comfort, or even my pleasure, but it's about God and his glory, and I hope that the same is true for you, that life isn't about our ease, our comfort, our pleasure, but it's about God and his glory and what he wants. And so all of that to bring us to our text today in John chapter 11 with with, uh, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. A well-known story for many of us. And if you're not familiar with the story, that's okay. But Lazarus is sick. He's dying. Mary and Martha are his sisters. They live in the Burbs. They live in Bethany just outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus isn't there. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha are there. Lazarus, like I said, is sick and dying. Jesus isn't there. And so they send a message to Jesus, the sisters do. They tell him, the one you love is sick. Lazarus is sick. You love him, Jesus. Surely they must think, all right, Jesus is going to hear this message, and he's going to come right away, heal Lazarus, just like he's healed countless other people, save him from this sickness, raise him up so that he doesn't die, so that he doesn't have to continue suffering in this sickness. Or maybe they even think, oh, Jesus will just say the word right where he's at, and Lazarus will be healed. Because Jesus did it before with the Roman centurion servant, where Jesus didn't even physically come into the guy's presence, but said the word, and he was healed. And surely, this is what the sisters are thinking when they send message to Jesus. Hey, the one you love is sick. Well, Jesus hears this message, and he does something strange and unexpected. He doesn't go. He doesn't go to Bethany. He doesn't say a word to heal Lazarus. Instead, the text tells us that he stayed where he was for two more days, and then he goes, and the disciples protest. They're like, hey, look, a short while ago, we were just in Judea, where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are. And the last time we were there, they tried to kill you, Jesus. They tried to stone you. And you're, you're going back there? You're going back to the place where they tried to kill you? But Jesus' ways are not our ways. Jesus said strange things from our perspective. Jesus did strange things from our perspective. And from Mary and Martha's perspective... Jesus was perhaps cruel in not coming immediately to heal their brother Lazarus. From the disciples' perspective, Jesus was foolish in going back to where he was nearly killed the last time when he was in Judea. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He had clarity of vision. He had divine wisdom. His thoughts, his ways were higher than Martha's, Mary's, Lazarus his disciples, his motive was God's glory, even if it was a strange way to achieve it. From Jesus' perspective, Lazarus is sick, and 
He thinks, let me wait two more days because this sickness will not end in death and because God and God's Son will be glorified through Lazarus and his sickness. Jesus' disciples, they're arguing with him, trying to keep him back, like I said earlier. They tried to kill you. Let's not go back there if he sleeps. And then they continue, because Jesus says something about Lazarus is asleep. And they're like, hey, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Let's just leave him alone. If he sleeps and rests, he'll heal, and he'll get better, and he'll be okay. And I imagine Jesus was a little frustrated in verses 14 and 15, where it says, he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He was talking about sleep as a euphemism for death. They think he's talking about natural sleep, and so Jesus has to put it out there. Look, he's, he's dead. He died. We don't know for sure when that, when that happened. It, it could have happened before the message even got to Jesus, but sometime in there, Lazarus died. He's dead. And in verse 15, he says, For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Jesus is even saying, I'm glad I wasn't there to, to heal him. It seems odd. like It's almost like Jesus is saying, I'm glad he died. I'm glad he died because I'm going to show you my glory. Lazarus is dead, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to go there anyway. In verse 16, Thomas says, let's go that we might die with him. The disciples are convinced that returning to Judea, because they tried to kill Jesus the last time he was there, they're convinced, like, this is a death sentence. If we just go back to Judea, we're all going to die. They're going to just kill us all. And so, like, all right, let's just go ahead. <laughs> let's go back. We might die with Jesus. So you got to give them credit for having faith, that they're committed enough to Jesus that they're willing to go with him, even though they think that this is a death sentence and they're going to... They're going to die. They don't get it. They don't get it fully, but they trust Jesus enough to follow him into the fire. They might have a little bit of imperfect faith, but the disciples, they still trust Jesus. They still got faith. And with Mary and Martha as well, uh, their faith might be a little imperfect, might not be fully rounded, but they still express faith, which is um, one of the points for us today is that they they express their faith in Jesus and they continue to follow him even though things don't always look the way that they hoped they would or things don't turn out the way that they might expect. They all express faith in Jesus and trust him even through suffering, even through hardship, even through not understanding what all Jesus is doing because Jesus' ways are not our ways. Lazarus died. Jesus' disciples think they're going to be killed. And yet Jesus goes back to Bethany, to the home of Mary and Martha. And then if we look at verses 21 and 22, Martha comes out to meet Jesus when he's approaching and says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And later on, Mary, her sister, has a separate encounter with Jesus and she also says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, why'd you wait? If you would have come when we sent you the message, if you would have come when we asked, Lazarus would not have died. And yet, and we're going to look specifically at Martha, Martha still expresses faith in Jesus, even though she thinks that if Jesus had come, her brother would not have died. She doesn't abandon Jesus. She doesn't give up hope. She doesn't give up on him. 
She says, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I don't know if she had faith that Jesus would bring Lazarus back from the death or if she's just expressing her continued faith in Jesus, but she still expresses her faith. She still trusts in Jesus even though Lazarus died. She might be a little frustrated here when she says, if you'd just been here, Jesus, he wouldn't have died. But she still has faith, even with her sorrow, even with her frustration maybe with Jesus. And Martha and Mary, just like the disciples, they provide good examples to us of enduring faith in the midst of sorrow and loss. Life might be awful at times, and we might go through really difficult times and terrible grief, but... The scriptures teach us that we can maintain our faith in the midst of whatever comes at us in life. And these sisters, Mary and Martha, show us that. And look at this conversation that continues with Martha and Jesus and the faith that Martha confesses, even in the face of the death of her brother. In verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Lazarus died, but Martha has hope in the resurrection, in his resurrection at the end of time. She believes that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, she verbally expresses that faith, that hope in Jesus, even in the face of death. And we have here one of the great I am statements that John uses in his gospel. I am the resurrection and the life. It's true. There will be a resurrection at the end of the age for all those who put their faith in Jesus. But Jesus is the resurrection and the life right now for Martha. And we, like we've talked about before, with Jesus, the future reality breaks in to the present because Jesus is the king and that future perfect kingdom of God comes in to the present where Jesus is. As he goes around Galilee, Jerusalem, Judea, everywhere he goes, the kingdom of God goes and the future comes into the present. This is why he brings healing. This is why he can raise Lazarus as the, continu- as the story continues. Life flows from Jesus so powerfully that he's even able to bring the dead back to life with Lazarus, with Jairus's daughter, other stories. And it happens just through the power of his word. And so they go to the tomb where they put Lazarus in a cave, roll the stone, Um, over that tomb. Lazarus has been dead four days, so he's good and dead. And so dead that they're worried that when they roll the stone away, there's going to be a bad smell. That's what John 11 tells us. They're worried about the odor coming from Lazarus because his body would have started to decay at this point. And Jesus says, hey, roll the stone away. He prays to the Father, and he speaks in verse 43. Lazarus, come out. And he does. (laughs) Pretty amazing story. Dead guy, been dead for four days, and Jesus just says, Lazarus, come out. And he comes out in a healthy, 
restored body. He doesn't come out in the sick body that he had that led to his death. He comes out in a healthy, restored body, foreshadowing the future resurrection that Martha was just talking about. In verse 44, it says, The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave, grave clothes and let him go. Just like Jesus said, the sickness did not end in death. Jesus and the Father were glorified through Lazarus. Lazarus, I can't say it, Lazarus, just like he said. And as the story continues, a bunch of people put their faith in Jesus. Also, a bunch of other people wanted to kill Jesus. And this was like the climax of the story that ultimately led to Jesus' death and resurrection because Jesus coming back to Judea did end up in the death sentence of Jesus, just like the disciples thought would happen. But the sickness did not end in death. Lazarus did die. He was good and dead for four days, but Jesus raised him from the dead because just like he told Martha, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He has power over death. He has power to bring the dead back to life even to someone who's been dead four days and probably had started to decay. Jesus was able to turn back time, bring him back to health, bring him back to life, because nothing is too hard for Jesus. If, we, if he could do this for Lazarus, we can trust that he can do it for you and for me. In the future resurrection at the end of time, as he was just talking about with Martha. The ultimate enemy is death, but Jesus isn't overcome. He's not intimidated. He's not afraid of death because he is the resurrection and the life. He comes face to face with our great enemy, death, and Jesus speaks life. He is the only one who can defeat death once and for all because if we read to the end of the story, death doesn't win in the end. Jesus does. That's the hope of Martha, Mary, Lazarus, and it's our hope as well if we follow Jesus. Like I said, wherever Jesus went, he demonstrated the kingdom of God. He brought the life of the kingdom of God. It was like he was walking through a desert, and grass and plants just started to come up everywhere that Jesus stepped because life just flowed out of him. Our creator came to earth, he walked among us, he brought life, healing, restoration, resurrection, physically, spiritually, in other ways. I don't know how many of you have seen Encanto, but I envision uh, the Isabella from Encanto who makes flowers and plant life just come. And I imagine like this is the life that comes from Jesus. It just flows out of him so that he can restore the broken, he can bring the outcasts back into the community. He can bring healing to those who have sickness, disease, and he can even bring the dead back to life because he is the resurrection and the life. He is the creator who brought life into existence, and when he was on earth, that life just came out of him and spread to his most valuable and important creation, us. Humans created in the image of God. And though Jesus isn't on earth today, that life is still present, and we can experience his resurrection power and that resurrection life, as the New Testament talks about, in our lives today when we turn from our sins and trust in Jesus, that we have that life within us, and death will not be the final word because we can hope in the future 
resurrection from the dead as well. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's what he told Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks her the question, do you believe this? What about us today? Do we believe this? Do we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that if we believe in him, we will live even though we might die physically? Do you believe in the resurrection, that whoever lives by believing in him will never die, that we have that future hope of resurrection from the dead, just like Lazarus experienced Through faith in Jesus, we can live forever. Lazarus, though, was brought back into a world that was still affected by sin and death. It wasn't the perfect world yet, so that his body then eventually succumbed to physical death at some point. But in the future resurrection, the one in the last day that Martha mentions in verse 24, all of us who've repented of our sins and trusted in Jesus for our salvation will be physically physically resurrected into bodies that will never break down, decay, get sick, or succumb to death again. And that's our hope as followers of Jesus. A future bodily resurrection and eternal life with our God in his kingdom that will never end. And so when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, that is what he's talking about as well as bringing life to Lazarus. And we can experience that just like Lazarus' resurrection foreshadowed that. If we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, we need to live it out because Jesus said, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. It's a life of faith that Jesus calls us to. Whoever lives by believing in me. We live by faith, trusting Jesus every day, walking by faith, not by sight, and when we do that, when we live by faith, we experience Jesus' resurrection life and his power right now. The future reality of the kingdom of God can be present in our lives today, but we need to trust him. Even when his ways, his thoughts, even when they don't make sense to us, that's when we demonstrate our faith most fully and when God is most glorified in our lives, because Jesus' ways are not our ways. And so we need to do what God tells us to do, even if it doesn't make sense or people try to argue, uh, argue us out of it. Because sometimes as followers of Jesus, we might make decisions that look foolish in the eyes of the world. Some examples, being generous with our money, taking time off, taking Sabbath, which is an act of faith to rest, Spending time with people that the world overlooks or writes off. Sacrificing for the sake of others. Pursuing treasure in heaven rather than treasure on earth. Leaving the safe, the comfortable, or the familiar for the sake of the kingdom of God and the advance of the gospel. Jesus might ask us to do things that require great faith and don't make any sense at all from a worldly perspective. And that's living by believing in Jesus. That's living by faith. And so, are we willing to be used by God however he sees fit in order for him to be most glorified in us? 
Rather than healing Lazarus in our story for today, Jesus let him die and stay dead for four days before bringing him back to life. And not only that, like we said, Jesus went back to Judea where his very life was threatened. It's almost like Jesus ran to danger rather than away from it and put himself in an impossible situation And he knew exactly what he was doing. He did all of this precisely so that he and the Father would be most glorified in a way that seems strange to those around him. We often run from danger. We often run from difficulty. But sometimes God asks us to go into danger. God asks us to do dangerous things, to do risky things, to do things that are hard very difficult, things that even seem impossible from a worldly perspective, but that's what God wants us to do so that he can display his glory and so that he can show himself to the world around us. Because, like I said earlier, the goal, the end game is God's glory, even through hardship, through difficult experiences. God does work through us for his glory if we just live by faith and trust him. What if God gets more glory by us living by faith through sickness, death, loss, accidents, or sacrificial living than by living a faith than by living a life of health untainted by problems? What if God gets more glory by us living through hard times by faith than having a plush, easy life of comfort? A big question for us is do we trust Jesus, knowing that his ways are not our ways? His thoughts are not our thoughts. Can we express faith in God like Mary and Martha did, even though from their perspective it may have looked like Jesus had let them down, maybe even like Jesus had abandoned them at their greatest time of need? Can we be faithful to God and walk by faith, not by sight, even when it looks like God has abandoned us or when it looks like God has let us down? Can we be content with the purpose of our lives being the glory of God, not personal gain, glory, or success? Because when we live life for the glory of God, it may mean that we don't, or that things don't go well from a worldly perspective. It may mean loss, humiliation, or failure instead of gain, glory, or success. But if the end goal is God's glory, then we trust him, even when his ways look or seem very different from our own. As we've seen the last few weeks, Jesus has power over nature, evil, sickness, and even death. And so because of that, he is worthy of our trust. Who else has that kind of power? May we have the faith to trust in Jesus no matter how dire, how challenging things may seem. Maybe we don't always understand Jesus. Maybe we don't always understand his ways. But we can trust him even in the darkness when things don't make sense. We can trust him even when coming face-to-face with death. Like we sang earlier, he's always been faithful. God is always faithful. Even when we go through hard times, even when Joseph was sold into slavery, even when Joseph ended up in prison, God was still faithful to him. God was still faithful to Abraham when he had to wait 25 years for his son. God's always been faithful. He's always good. He's always right. He's always working for his glory, even when it doesn't make sense. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His wisdom is not our wisdom. 
But what he does is always good and right, and it's perfect. And our response is to just trust that he's always faithful, and he's always working for our good and his glory, even though it might seem strange. And something that can help motivate us, I think, to keep living by faith is hope. Hope is what helps us trust when the going gets tough. And there's a line from a Jeremy Camp song that often runs through my head. It says, there will be a day with no more tears, no more pain, and no more fears. And it comes from the book of Revelation, as I've talked about. If we know Jesus personally, we can press on in life because of that hope. Because we know we have a future awaiting us that will be even greater than the resurrection that Lazarus experienced in John 11. Sometimes I think about what God offers us through Jesus and how following Jesus compares with other religions, other philosophies. And I think one thing that sets Christianity and Jesus apart is the hope that we have. There's a real, tangible, glorious hope in Jesus because he is the resurrection and the life. It's not the hope of being reincarnated into a higher life. It's not the hope of finding personal fulfillment. It's not the hope of reaching a higher level of consciousness or a higher level of existence. It's the concrete physical reality of bodily resurrection into a perfect physical existence, living with our creator and redeemer in his perfect kingdom forever and ever. It's the hope of living in submission to and relationship with our loving king, who forgave us through Jesus, brought us into a friendship with God, our creator. We get to live in the, or seated us in the heavenly realms with him and gave us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, as Peter talks about. So don't forget the hope that we have. Remind yourself of it often because the enemy will try to discourage you He'll try to distract you. He'll try to get you focused on other things and take your eyes off the prize. Stay focused. Never give up. Trust Jesus. His ways are not our ways, but his ways are always right. They're always perfect and good. I mentioned earlier that Christmas song that talks about uh, what a strange way to save the world. Jesus coming to earth as a baby. What a strange way to see, save the world. Jesus' ways may seem strange, but our job is to trust in him and his strange ways at time. To look forward to the hope that we have in Jesus. Our job is to fix our eyes on him. Follow him no matter what, knowing that his way is best and that he is the resurrection and the life. And that following him leads to resurrection and life for us as well. May we trust in him and live in that reality, in that hope. Let me pray. God, we are thankful for Jesus and the resurrection and the life that we have through him. We thank you for the story of Lazarus today and um, the demonstration of that power. But you, we know that you will do for us what you did for Lazarus, and even in a greater extent to give us bodies that will never break down or succumb to death. 
Give us the faith, the hope to trust in that, to hope in you even when life looks dark or hopeless at times, to trust in you when life is hard, when we don't understand, when we don't see our way, when it looks like darkness is all around us. Give us the light that you have for us, Jesus, and the hope that you have for us, and infuse us with your power, with your resurrection, with your life. And may we be found faithful to live by faith, not by sight, living lives that bring glory and honor to your name, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.